glad we all survived the time change. Looks good. Looks good. Some folks will probably join us here in a little bit. That'd be awesome. You know, as, um, as people of faith, that is how we live, by faith. Amen? Amen? Amen. We trust in what is said by God and not what is seen with our eyes. Right. Amen? Amen? Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the confidence of things not seen. This is how we walk. Amen? So I trust in what he says, even when my feelings aren't there. Have you ever woken up and not felt forgiven? You know what I'm talking about? Just a wave of guilt comes over you, a reminder of past sins, all this stuff, all of a sudden the enemy is using against you. And in that moment, you declare what God says about you and not what your feelings scream about you. Amen. This is faith. This is how we walk by faith and not by sight. So when I'm going through my life and all of a sudden it looks like there's chaos, all of a sudden it looks like things are turning against me, I rest in a promise that said God is working all things together for my good. Amen. I rest in that and not in what my circumstances tell me. Because the minute you start resting in what's happening or you start looking for your confidence in what's happening, you will panic. You will fall apart. You will face some inner destruction because you're trusting in what is seen rather than what is said. Mm. You see, God promised Abraham in the Old Testament that he was going to have a son, but he was old and his wife was old and they didn't have any children. And it didn't look like there was any way he was going to have any children. And it took a while for Abraham's faith to come along. He tried some other approaches, but finally he got to the place where he trusted God. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Mm. It goes on and it says that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things which are not as though they were. Ooh. God calls things that are not as though they are. He's, he gives us promises into his realm and his kingdom, and he says, this is what I want you to rest in. I'm going to call some things into life that you can't see yet. And you're going to have to believe me in the process if you want it to come to pass. You're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. This is the essence of the Christian life. Putting our confidence in what God says and not in what our circumstances say. Putting our confidence in what God says, not what our feelings say. Putting our confidence in what God says, not in what the world says, not in what our friends say, not in what our own logic says, but in what God says alone. This is the essence of faith. So we may be going through a situation right now. You may be at a point right now where there's some parts of your life that seem absolutely dead to you. You can't figure out how in the world life could ever be breathed back into them. I'm going to tell you what. When you come to a place of trusting the promises, believing with rock-solid faith, 
you may be surprised at what is now dead that comes to life. Amen? So today we're looking at our second story of resurrections in the Bible. There are more than one. There was more than just Jesus. We're making our way through the Old Testament. We're looking at the next resurrection that happens. This is in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles there, your Bible app, whatever you've got, 2 Kings chapter 4 is where we are today. Let me introduce our characters. So last week you looked at a man of God, a prophet. His name was Elijah with a J. This week, we meet the guy that followed him, that received, the Bible says, a double portion of his spirit. His name is Elisha, with an S-H. Elijah was last week. This is Elisha this week. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. And Elisha is a prophet, a man of God as well. He hears God speak. He communicates what God says. And God has done is doing miraculous things through Elisha when we meet him. He has an assistant who's with him. His name is Gehazi. And they're going to meet a woman who lives in the town of Shunem. All right? She's married. They don't have any children. But they decide to open their home, this woman and her husband. We never know their exact names. She's going to be referred to as the Shunemite. Okay, the woman from Shunem and her husband. And they have a home. Apparently it's large enough that they have an extra room. And they invite this man of God and his assistant to stay there. It's awfully kind of them. They see it as an act of faith and worship and service, giving to the Lord, for the man of God to come stay in their home. And he uses it as kind of his base of operations. He stays there and then he travels and speaks He travels and preaches, travels and ministers to people, but he comes back to their home. They've been very gracious to him, very kind to him. And one day, Elisha asked the woman, what can I do for you? You've done so much for us. Is there there something I can do for you? And this woman, with a great spirit of service, sacrifice, says, no, I... I'm cared for. I'm fine. I don't need anything. Elisha's still wanting to do something, so later he asks his servant. He says, what, what can we do for her? Is there something we could do for her? And the servant says, well, you know, her husband is kind of old, and they don't have any children. I just wonder if a child would really be what she's longing for. It tells us that in verse 16 that Elisha spoke to her and said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. In other words, don't be messing with me. Don't be playing with me here. It's too serious. I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm going to get $20 in the mail next week. It's one thing to say, you're going to have a new house in five years. But you're telling me I'm going to have a child? Don't be messing with me. Don't, don't play with this. We can joke about some other stuff, but don't, don't play with me on this. But the woman conceived and bore a son 
when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, it came to pass. She got pregnant. She had a son, just as the man of God had said. We don't know for sure if it was a secret longing that she'd always had. She didn't voice it. We weren't sure. But maybe Elisha's servant and Elisha kind of picked up on some clues and thought, this would be awesome. Prayed, blessed them, and sure enough, they have this baby. And I'm sure the servant, Elisha, must have been around during the, the pregnancy and celebrated when he was born. And here was her longing, her dreams come true. The things she had maybe secretly hoped for. The things she probably hadn't told anybody at all about. Maybe just to God alone had she said, God, this is the desire of my heart. This is what I long for more than anything. I'm not going to tell anybody. I tell you. And God blesses her, gives her reward of her faith Mm. it goes on in the passage and it says and the child grew now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers and he said to his father my head my head so he said to the servant carry him to his mother we don't know how old the boy is at this point we just know he's grown some He's old enough, obviously, to talk. He's old enough to make his way out to be in the field where his dad is. He must not be old enough to be one of the workers. So he goes out to see his dad. And while he's out there, he begins to complain of a headache. And it must have come on suddenly. So intense that that's all he can say. He just kind of calls out to his dad. Dad's busy. Worker's there in the field. And the dad says... Get him back to his mom. Again, he must be young because they carry him to his mother. Young boy. I don't know how old he is, if he's five, if he's eight. But it's her son. It's her secret longing. It's her hopes. It's her dreams. It's her boy. She's back at the house. Servant picks the boy up and goes back to the house to come to the mom. Verse 20, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. This is not just biblical language for he fell asleep, he was in a coma, he really died. In her arms, in her lap, her dream, her hopes, her answered prayer, her miracle, the answer to what she had secretly cried out to the Lord for, now she held and he was lifeless. The life had gone out of the boy. And there's a finality to the moment. He died. Have you ever had a, a hope, a dream, a longing 
a promise, a miracle that came to you. But then it died. For her, it was a boy. It was her son. For others, it might be a a marriage, a job, a dream. Something you haven't really voiced to anybody, but it's been the secret longing of your heart. And there came a day that God provided it for you. It became yours. That prayer was answered. And there was such great joy or such delight and all the joy of that moment just stayed with you. Life was good. But there came a day when what started off with such hope and promise began to not be so healthy. And it actually died. Her promise died. You know, the scripture is very uh, honest. It's very real. It doesn't sugarcoat. It doesn't paint us flowery pictures that are not based in reality. For this woman, what she had longed for is now dead in her arms. And I am confident everybody in this room has had an experience with some promise, some hope, some dream that you had, it died. Even while your hands were still on it. Can anybody relate? Everybody has something that you can say. I had it. I was confident God provided it. But then it, it was gone. And there was such finality to it that I never thought I would ever or I will ever see it again. And the dream is gone for you. That's where this woman is in this moment. The good news is she is a woman of powerful faith and prayer. And her example will be an example to us of what we do when our dreams, hopes, longings die. We pick up the story in verse 21. It says, And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Now that's an unusual response. That is not what you would typically think. If your child dies in your arms, there's a moment that lasts where there's grief where there's crying, where you stay there in that moment and you do not want to let go. You want to hold on as long as you can and hope maybe something will happen, someone will come, something will be said. This woman doesn't do that. She takes her son and immediately goes upstairs to Elisha's room. He's not there She opens the door, goes in, places him on Elisha's bed, goes out, shuts the door, and leaves. Wow. It's a powerful act of faith to take what 
has died in your arms and take it to the man of God and leave him there. To take your hands off. To leave it in complete surrender and walk away. It's tough to walk away from a problem, isn't it? It's tough to walk away when something is not going like you want it to, when your dream hasn't come to pass. It's in that moment that you want to run in and you want to try to fix it. You want to do something about it. You want to get somebody, call somebody, do something, say something, stay there, complain to somebody, do something. You want to do something, but she takes him up to the man of God where he rests and leaves him there. Ooh, so many beautiful pictures there about placing our hurts into the place of Christ's rest where he is seated at the right hand of the Father and leaving them there, hands off. Verse 22. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. I got a plan. I need a donkey. I need one of the hired men. Bring him in. I've got to go see the man of God. Oh, and know this, and I'm going to come back. I'm coming back. I got purpose. I got belief. I got faith in this, what's happening here. I've got to go see the man of God, and I'm going to come back brings us to kind of a big moment here in our message already. Here it is. Faith isn't moved by what is seen, but trusts in the one who is unseen. There are a lot of things that we can do whenever things don't go our way. Whenever the dream dies, you can really start complaining a lot in that moment. You can complain about what someone else did to you, You complain about what happened to you, how it wasn't right, it wasn't fair, didn't deserve it. You did far more good than they did. This shouldn't have happened. You can really just start off complaining. She could have done that. She could have really launched into a complaint campaign against God for what had happened here. She didn't. She could have gotten bitter. We can get bitter. We can get angry, resentful, and hold a grudge against whoever caused this death, maybe even God himself. We can, we can lose control. We can act out. We can scream. We can throw things. Or we could just sink into a pit of just absolute despair and say things like, well, that's the last time I trust anybody. It's the last time I trust God. I guess my life is just cursed from here on out. I guess I'm just a wreck. I guess that's what I get for what I've done. You know, all that stuff of just sinking into a pit of despair and depression and walking away and saying, I'm not going to have any more faith like that. We shrink away. But I'm going to tell you what. Though that might be the natural reaction, the faith action is to say, look here, I'm not going to trust in what I feel in this moment. 
I'm not going to trust in what I think in this moment. I'm not going to trust what anybody else says in this moment. I'm not even going to trust my circumstances. I'm going to trust what God says. And for this woman, God had given her a promise. And she remembered it. And that's why she could, in this moment, say, I am going to take my hands off of this boy. God gave him to me. He promised him to me. I'm on my way to the one who gave me the promise. And she took off. She could have gotten bogged down in her circumstances. But instead, she headed off to see the man of God. Verse 23. So he, the dad, the husband, said this. Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. What? What? It is well? It's not well. Your boy just died. And she didn't even tell her husband. She just says, give me the donkey. Give me the servant. I got to go see the man of God. Oh, and I'll be back. You mark my words, I will be back. And she doesn't even tell him what's happened. She keeps it to herself. She could have launched into a tirade right there, but she said, I don't have time for that stuff. I got to get to the one, the only one who can do anything about this. I've got to get to the man of God. Yeah, amen. Verse 24. Y'all enjoying the story format of scripture like this? How it kind of unfolds and just tells the story. It's like we're watching this epic movie, right? Let's get back to it. Verse 24. Then she saddled a donkey. She knew stuff. She knew how to saddle a donkey. And said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. We ain't stopping. I don't care. When we pass Bucky's, we're going to keep on going. We're not stopping. That would have been tough. I was like, come on. It's Bucky's. We don't get out that way very often. And she said, look, don't slow down unless I tell you. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Hey, if you look on a map, it's about 15 miles. She's riding a donkey. Riding a donkey 15 miles. How fast does a donkey go anyway? I mean, that that had to be some ride. We're going to ride a donkey, and we're going to ride it fast. Mm. When we were dating, Heather had horses. She loves horses. And she'd say, come on, let's go out and ride. Okay. I'm not a horse guy necessarily. But for her, I became a horse guy. So she'd put me on the horse and take off running. And, you know, she's skilled enough. She's got this beautiful Arabian horse. And the minute it starts, you know, doing that stuff, she's, she's kind of gripped in with her, you know, legs and ankles. And she's just, she's just going along smooth, you know. She's, she knows how to do it. Me, I'm on the back of it. I'm like, oh, can we stop now? I feel for this woman traveling 15 miles. Maybe she's more like Heather than me. So <clears throat> you get on into verse 25, the second part. It says, so it was when the man of God saw her afar off. So she's made this trek. The man of God sees her, Elisha. That he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. This is important. This is her, 
This is the woman that they stay with. This is the house that they are in. And it's unusual for her to show up. It's not like they just see each other at Walmart when they're shopping. It's unusual to have gotten on your donkey and ridden 15 miles. And he sees her coming across the plains and he says, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Something must have happened, Gehazi. Something must have happened. When you see her, as soon as you get to her, find out. Is there something wrong with her? Is there something wrong with her husband? Is there something wrong with the child? That's the most important thing, Gehazi. Ask that first. Get there and find out. Verse 26, the second half says, And she answered, It is well. Odd. It is well? It's not well. Why'd you say it is well? Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. I don't know what's going on here, Gehazi, but back off. I know she told you it is well, but something is not right here. And the Lord hasn't shown me yet what it is. How fascinating that she didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell the man who was riding the donkey or that was leading her. She didn't tell the servant. She didn't tell even Gehazi when he comes to ask. Her response is, it's all good. It's all good. But when she gets to the man of God, everything changes. When she sees the one who's given her the promise, everything changes. Now she throws herself at his feet and is just laid out before him. She grabs his feet. Just imagine the tears that are bursting forth from her. Her heart, she's kept intact this whole time, not telling her husband, not telling the servant, 15 miles on a donkey, finally getting there, not telling Gehazi, but now, now the floodgates are open and she's broken before the man of God. You see, this is what faith does. Faith finds its confidence in no one's words, but God's words. She knew she had an ache She knew she had a problem. She knew there was a struggle. She knew her dream had died. She knew there was a promise. And she wasn't going to talk about it to her husband yet. She wasn't going to talk about it to the servant yet. She wasn't going to talk about it to Gehazi yet. But when she got to the man of God, she's broken. She knows he's the one I've got to go to. You know, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel today when you're going through a struggle. In fact, that's wise to seek counsel, to find the input of other godly people who can help you. The world is not going to help you today. Their answer doesn't even apply to the question. Their salve doesn't even work on the wound. It can't. It won't. Where you've got to go is to God himself. That's where you go. You got to get there first. 
There'd be time to tell her husband. There'd be time to tell Gehazi. There'd be time to tell the servant. But when you got the need, you've got to go to the promise giver and the promise keeper. He alone is where you go when you're hurt. Verse 28, she speaks. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Elisha, I didn't ask. Only God knew my heart. I didn't ask you for a son. And I even said, don't trick me. Don't tempt me with this. Don't mess with me. Don't tell me something that's not going to come to pass. Tell me the truth. And Elisha, you gave me the promise. I I conceived. I had a boy. It's my boy, my promise, my hope. He was here. No one knew. Only God knew. And she brings her, her hurt to the only one who could help the one who gave the promise Christ is the only one who gives us promises you can't lean on others promises here in this life I don't care who they are do not put your hopes your trusts in any person your hope and trust is in the Lord. Let me just break this on down into marriage a little bit. I know you want your spouse to be faithful to you. That's awesome. That's great. They should be. They better be. But look here. If you are trusting in how nice a person they are, how great a person they are, how sweet they've been to you, your hope is misplaced. It's in the wrong spot. Because as sweet, kind, and loving as they have been, I'm telling you, if you haven't experienced this yet, this will happen to you. They're going to have a bad day. They are. They are going to not live up to your expectations. Uh Uh-oh. And in that moment, if you put all your trust in them, you're going to fall apart. You put your trust in the Lord, and you love them, and you rejoice in their kindness and loving faithfulness to you but your hope is in the lord for this woman she knew god is the one who gave me this child and if i'm going to go to anybody i'm going to go back to the one who gave me the promise from god she went back to the source verse 29 then he elisha said to gehazi get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. We're not stopping at Bucky's. But lay my staff on the face of the child. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But Elisha says, Gehazi, get to the house now. Don't stop. Don't talk to anybody. Don't let them talk to you. Go. Get to the house. Verse 30. And the mother of the child said... As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave 
you. So he arose and followed her. Watch this. Elisha is here. Gehazi heads toward the house where the boy is, where his body is dead. She has a moment. What do I do? Do I go back to the house with Gehazi to my son? Do I stay with Elisha? It's a powerful moment. What do you do in that moment? Do you go toward the crisis or do you go toward the promise? She made the choice and she said to Elisha, I am not leaving you. I'm staying right here. The promise came here, and I'm going to stay with the promise. She wasn't being unloving. She wasn't being uncaring. She wasn't being cold. She was being filled with faith in this moment. I'm not leaving you. The power for God to do something is right here through you. I'm not going anywhere else. I will stay with you. You see, what she was doing is she was putting some perspective on her situation. Her pain was back at home. The promise was here in Elisha. And she chose to see her pain through the eyes of the promise. And it changes things when you do. Let me show you this. Let me see how I want to illustrate this today. Y'all want to help me this morning? All right. Why don't y'all come stand right here? This is Kevin and Jessica. And y'all can turn around and face this way. Perfect. Kevin and Jessica. Hopes, dreams for the future. But like all of us, stuff happens. Stuff comes along that seems to stand in the way. Pains, difficulties, loss, heartache. Eli, can you help me out? Eli's always on the front row and ready for a, being an example. <clears throat> Eli, you are not a problem, but this morning you're going to be a problem. Stand right here. Yeah, don't move. Eli's not a problem. Good guy. Loves the Lord. But let's imagine for just a moment that Eli represents Kevin and Jessica's problem. They can't even see into their future because he's right in the way. For the Shunammite woman, it was the death of her son. It was what stood in the way. For you, it might be some other situation. Could be a relationship with someone else. Could be some financial issue could be that something has come up and it stands in the way of everything that you believed God was going to do. All that you thought would be out here is now overshadowed by this problem. Everybody can relate to that, right? But God is faithful and he gives promises in his word. That's why it's so essential that we know his word. If you don't have promises from here that are here, then you won't be able to see past here. So watch this. 
So Kevin and Jessica decide, you know what? We've had some struggles come our way, but we are going to put some perspective on the situation. We are going to see our problem through the promise. And when the promise is here, you see it first, and then the problem takes on new meaning because you're seeing the problem through the promise. You might have a situation where you think, I don't know how God's going to provide for me. And then you remember the promise. My God shall provide for all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You remember the promise in spite of the problem, and you hold to it no matter what. You keep praying even though it hadn't come in yet. You keep praying when you haven't seen the answer yet. You keep praying because you put perspective in the situation. You put the promise ahead of the problem or the pain. A lot of people do this, though. You get to move up a little bit. They make the pain so big that when the promise is out here, they can't see it. And it makes the promise very cloudy, confusing, hard to see because they are putting all of their strength, energy into what's right in front of them, their pain, their problem. And it makes you do strange things when your pain is bigger than the promise. You've got to have it in perspective. Faith, trust in what is unseen. Faith, trust in what God says. Faith, trust in this. It makes this have some perspective all of a sudden. Amen? Amen. That's what was happening here for this woman. She said, my son has died, but I'm going to hold to the promise. I'm going to stay with the one who gave me the promise. In spite of what I see, I'm going to hold to what he has said. Amen? Give them a hand. Thank you all very much. Very good. Faith sees its problem. The eyes the promise. It's what David did when he faced Goliath. It's what Joseph did when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. It's what Moses did when he stood on the edge of the Red Sea. It's what the children of Israel did when Jericho stood before them. They put the promise ahead of the problem and gave them perspective in the midst of it all. Let's go on in the story. Verse 31. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. What a fascinating part of the story. Gehazi goes back and he goes ahead of Elisha and the woman, and he gets there and he's got Elisha's staff, a stick that he has used. And I'm not sure who the lesson in this part of the story is for. If it's for Gehazi, if it's for the woman, if it's for all those who are watching, but they take this staff and they lay it on the boy, on his face, on his body. I'm sure Gehazi must have just sat there for a moment and thought, okay. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. You see, the power of God doesn't come through trinkets. The power of God doesn't come through just sticks and staffs. The power of God comes through a person who will have faith in what God says. And that's perhaps the biggest walk away for us this morning as we continue the story. Verse 30, 
2. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. On his bed, on the place of the rest of the man of God. Where the man of God rested was the boy. He's dead there. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Once again, this woman has to let go of the issue. She has to let go of, of this, this pain because Elisha walks in, sees him. And with the woman, the mother, and Gehazi, he closes the door. They can't see. They don't know what's going on. Now, the man of God begins to pray. And she has to release into God's hands one more time her son, her hopes, her dreams. It says in verse 34 that he went up and he lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. That's fascinating. If you remember the story from last week about Elijah and the child who had died, Elijah did this exact same thing. Elisha had to have heard the story. Elisha carried on what had been passed on to him. And he goes in and he does the exact same thing. He's willing to touch what is dead. Though the law declared you unclean if you did. And he lays himself out to take death upon himself to put life into what was dead. And he is completely matching the boy. Hand to hand, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. And it says, and the boy became warm. Doesn't live, but his body becomes warm. Verse 35. He, Elisha, returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on the child. Elisha goes up, and I'm sure he has prayed. Can you imagine just hearing the prayer of Elisha for this boy? This man of God who, who has fellowship with God, heard from God, and he's praying for this boy. And he's exerting all of his faith. He's a man of great faith. He's laid out there on him, and he's praying. He gets up. Nothing has happened. He feels warm, but he's not alive. They were prayed for something, and it didn't get answered the first time. And you really, I mean, you really prayed. You were totally into it, totally trusting God. And it wasn't answered. It says Elijah went out. I imagine him going downstairs. The woman is there. I don't know if her husband's come back in or if he's still out in the field. Clueless about what's going on. 
Gehazi is there, and Elisha starts walking. It says he walked back and forth. I'm confident in the midst of that he's praying. If you've been part of our Circle Maker series, you know exactly what Elisha is doing. He's praying some circles. He's believing some promises. He's reminding himself of some truths. He's walking it out. He's praying through. He's following it up. He's not letting what just happened deter him. He's not letting the fact that it hasn't been answered yet stop him from believing. He knows who his God is. He, knew, he knows what his promise is. He knows the story here, and he keeps on praying, and he keeps on walking. And I imagine his pace picks up, and I imagine it gets a little bit more you know, vehement. I imagine he's just walking walking back and forth, and finally gets the strength. He says, I'm going back up. And you hear him going back up the stairs. He goes all the way back upstairs, and he lays out on the boy again, and he starts praying again. You see, that's what faith does. It doesn't give up because the first time you didn't get your prayer answered. It's so locked in on the promise of God and the person of God that says, I'm going to keep praying anyway. I don't care what you say. I don't care that my promise hasn't been answered yet. I don't care that my prayer hasn't been answered yet. I believe my God, and I'm going to keep praying. That's faith. That's rock-solid faith. And he has it. He stretches himself out on the boy again. And what's curious to me is in the midst of all of that happening, all that activity that just described, there is absolutely no mention of the mother. There's nothing. She had to have just maybe been over to the side and just watching. She might have been weeping, but I almost picture her praying with maybe even more intensity and passion than Elisha. She's the one who received the promise. She's the one who heard the very words. She's the one who held the son in her arms. She's the one who saw him die. She's the one who has everything to gain in the situation, and she is passionately praying. She hasn't said a word. She could have said, what happened, Elijah? What would you do? Is he doing anything? Is he breathing out, Elijah? Are you going to go back upstairs? What are you going to do, Elijah? Tell me what you're going to do next, Elijah. What do you think about what's going to happen next? Like, stop. But you don't see any of that. There's no panic. There's no fear. There's no worry. She's silent, but she's solid. She's trusting in the one who gave her a promise. That's what faith does. Faith refuses to be impatient or interfere with what only God can do. Only God can give resurrection. It wasn't going to do her any good to get up in Elisha's face, to start asking questions, making complaints, being a busybody. She just rested. And faith says, I ain't going to do it. I am not going to lose myself over this. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to believe my God can do this. And she took her hands off of the situation. The door was closed and it was out of her hands at that point. And faith is comfortable with it being out of your hands. Man, I've had some experiences like that. Heather and I have. Uh, there's nothing like knowing your daughter is in labor. I've been through two of those now. She's in labor. I mean, labor. That's why they call it labor. It's hard. It's work. It's, it's difficult. And time has passed. 
and we start getting anxious as parents, and you're standing there in that moment, and you know there's a life about to be born, you know your daughter's going through it, and there's absolutely nothing you can do as a dad. Hello? You are just there, and all you can do is just pray. And your hands are off the situation. It's one thing to have your hands taken off the situation. It's something else when you willingly choose to take your hands off the situation. I'm afraid that's probably more the reality for us today. You've got situations in your life that you think, man, I got to get up in this situation. I got to do something. I got to say something. I got I to stop this. I got to make this happen. I got to do this. I got to go try to encourage this conversation to happen. I got to try to make this situation work out. You try to get all up in there to make it all happen. And God's saying to you, look, I gave you the promise. You didn't make it. You can't keep it. Only I can do that. And you're all stressed about some relationship, something going on in your child's life, your grandchild's life. You're worried about a situation at work. You're worried about a neighbor. You're worried about a family member who is lost and dead. I'm going to tell you what. You cannot resurrect anything. Only God can. And that's why at times you have to intentionally take your hands off, walk away. Completely trust God. That's what he's looking for. Here's what happens next. Verse 35 and 6. Then the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And he called, Elisha called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. Can you imagine? Elisha's there. He's laid out on him. I'll be still laid out on this moment. And you remember what it said. Hand to hand. Eye to eye. Mouth to mouth. That has to mean nose to nose as well. It just has to. And he's praying. And he's praying. And he's believing. And all of a sudden he hears. And Elisha's thinking, yes. And then all of a sudden Elisha hears. You know, and if you sneeze and someone's right here in your face, you know what's going to happen. You're about to get it. And Elisha got it seven times. What an interesting passage of Scripture. The boy sneezes seven times. I don't know all that God means by that. I'm sure there are volumes that could be written about what it means that he sneezed seven times. I only know this. Sneezing is not something you can make happen. Sneezing is an involuntary act that comes from just being alive. Nobody dead sneezes. But when there's life inside of you, you sneeze. It's an involuntary act. It comes out and it discharges what was ever inside before. This boy comes to life, and I mean full life. He discharges whatever was in there. I don't know what it was, but now this boy is alive. You don't need a heart monitor to check him. You don't need a pulse to find out if he's alive. He just sneezed seven times. And that's why Elisha can say with confidence, call his mom. Verse 36, the second part. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, 
pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. She came back in and fell down at his feet in worship, in gratefulness. She was bowed to the ground in worship. And then, then she picked up her son and went out. Her dream lived again. What she had longed for, what God had given her, the miracle that she had that had died was now alive. Mm. Faith is driven to believe, pray, wait, and worship until the promise lives again. Amen. You know, Part of what we are called to is, as the church is two things. We are called to proclaim the gospel to the world and to make disciples. To proclaim the gospel to people who are dead, who have no concept of the reality of God. They are completely dead and cut off. They cannot even know him until he wakes them up until he speaks to them, until his spirit comes in them. And you and I are the ones who are called to go and speak life to them. And we cannot do that in and of ourselves. We're called to go, but we're called to pray that he might be the one who resurrects them. But we're also called in a very personal sense to believe that God can resurrect in our lives what is dead today. What is dead today? you got some areas in your life that are dead today? A relationship that's cut off? A dream you longed for? A pain that is bigger than anything you've ever experienced before? And you can't see beyond it today because it's so painful. It looms so large. God calls us in that moment to have faith that he can resurrect what is dead. I know what happens. I've walked with Christ for a while. I've talked with people who've walked with Christ for a while. I know what happens. Something's happened. The dream you had, a longing you had, dies. And because you took a moment and prayed, maybe prayed again, and it didn't come to pass You use that moment or opportunity to say, I'm just going to take a couple steps back in this whole faith thing. I tried. Didn't work. I got more dead things now than I got live things. And you just keep on pulling back. The scripture in Hebrews 11 mentions this woman. It doesn't mention her by name, but it says this. In a long line of people who were the great heroes of the faith, it says about this woman, and perhaps the one last week as well, women receive back from the dead their children. And it doesn't say that it just happened to them. It just happened upon them. 
Listen to me. It says that they receive back their dead through their faith. They were passionate, persistent, praying, and believing, and they didn't waver. They didn't walk away. They didn't give up. They didn't say, I prayed twice and nothing happened, so I'm done. They kept on praying, kept on going back, and kept on believing, and God heard their prayer and gave back what was dead. I'm convinced now, especially after going through this Circle Maker series, Mark Batterson in the series says this. There are some people who stop short in their praying. They were given a promise and they started believing and they started praying, but they stopped. They, they came to a stopping point and they said, ah. And there are plenty of times in Scripture where God said, believe me, pray, wait, walk around those, jo- those walls of Jericho seven times. Wouldn't you have hated to be the guy who on the sixth time around convinced everybody, hey, 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 this isn't working. Come on, just forget all that. Uh, we're not doing this the seventh time. No, six days we've been doing this and nothing's happened yet. We're not doing this again. How'd you like to be the guy that started that? That didn't happen. They kept on walking. Mark Batterson says in his book, I don't want to be the guy that's one prayer short of a miracle. I don't want to be the guy I don't want us to be the church that stops one prayer short of resurrection happening in some areas in our life that have been dead that God wants to speak life to and bring to life and he's looking to see if you will have faith. I mean intentional, persistent, passionate faith to believe in spite of what you see, to pray even when it still looks dead, to keep praying. To look over again, still dead, still going to pray. Still dead, still praying. You're not going to shake me. I don't care who you are. You might be the enemy. You might be be a friend. You might be a family member. I don't care who you are. You might be my own thoughts. I'm not going to let you persuade me. My God has given me promises, and I'll be true to them. I'll believe them. I'll trust him. What he has spoken will come to pass, and he is the one who calls things that are not as though they are, and I'm going to trust him. Amen. Amen. That's what I want us to be as a church. I don't want us to be the ones who in these last days says, well, (laughs) this world, it's all crazy, you know. I mean, maybe it's time for us to just hunker down, you know, come together, put the doors up, you know, lock them out. No, we're not doing that. That's not what we've been called to. I don't also want, I don't want us to be the ones who say, well, you know, I've been praying for that neighbor. I've been praying for that family member. And I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of done on the whole. No, we're not going to do that. We trust in our God. We don't trust in our prayers. We trust in our God. And we're going to believe him all the way to the end. So I want to ask you this today as we close. Where's your promise today? Where is it? Where is it for you? Has it died while you were holding it? Have you taken it to God? Have you taken your hands off of it? Have you left it there in his resting place? Are you trusting him? Have you run to the man of God, the only one who can answer the promise?
Or have you walked away? Have you given up? Have you stopped praying? Because it didn't happen in your time, in your way. Would you bow your heads with me? God is speaking to us. God is calling us to believe. To believe, maybe, again. If God has spoken to you today and is reigniting a passion to pray and believe, would you just lift your hand as a testimony? If God is stirring you to believe again, amen. Anyone else? God's stirring you to believe and pray with greater passion, greater persistence, and you're not going to not pray. You're going to keep on pursuing, keep on believing, because he's the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. Amen. Amen. I believe God's going to honor your faith and answer the question and bring hope to the hurt. God's looking for those who will believe. His eyes running through the the whole earth looking for those whose hearts will be softened, whole toward him. If that's where you are today, would you just let the Lord know that? Just Just in your own way right now, pray. God, I'm coming back today. I've let some stuff slide. I've stopped praying. I gave up. But I'm coming back today. Because I know you're looking for those who have faith. So I come to believe today. I come to not be shaken anymore. It might be that you're here today and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ. And all of this sounds pretty amazing to you. God's speaking to your heart and saying, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want that. If that's the case, then it begins with a prayer like this. God, I have sinned. I have so failed you and walked away. But I come to you because I know you're the one who forgives sin. You're the one who sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I come today to believe, to receive your son, to be born again, to start afresh, to walk with you, and I'll do so. If you're praying that prayer today for the first time and you're crying out to the God saying, I believe, I want to I walk with you, would you just raise your hand if you're praying to receive Christ today? Anyone? You're receiving Christ today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for speaking to us today. I know that you're looking throughout the whole earth today for those who will have faith, for those who will trust you, who will believe you, who will demonstrate that by their actions, who will demonstrate that by their prayers, who will demonstrate that by their confidence and their trust in you. Father, we come to be those people today. We come to ask you to speak life to the areas in our life that are dead. We'll believe your promises and we will not stop praying until we see life happen. If it means going to our grave asking for that life, we'll do so. But we'll go there trusting you as the one who can bring life. Father, we also come this morning as the church. 
the ones who have been given the words of life to speak to a community and a nation that is dead today. And may we have the courage and boldness to speak life where there is death today. And may you call to life those who are far from you. May they be drawn to you. May the harvest come in that we might see, that we might serve, that we might lead them to you. Father, we do all of this. We pray all of this. We rest our confidence in the name of Jesus. We pray and say amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we sing, just want to let you know we're going to have our counselors here. If you want to pray with someone, they're going to be here waiting. But I want us to do this today as a way of proclaiming what we believe today. So, I want you to say after me, and here's the first, first phrase I'm going to say. I will not trust in what I see. Would you say that after me? I will not trust in what I see. Amen. I will trust in what you say, God. I will trust in what you say, God. Let's try it one more time. I will not trust in what I see. I will trust in what you say, God. I believe... I believe. I believe. I believe.